ever been told that there is no truth, that everything is my truth or your truth? In fact, all statements of truth are merely a reflection of personal opinion. But what if my truth says your truth is a lie? Furthermore, if there is no truth, then how did one discover that there is no truth? One would have to have access to truth. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Welcome to a special episode, this time from a guest lecture that I gave on moral relativism and its intellectual shortcomings at Woodcrest Christian High School in Riverside, California. And this is an important lecture and an important conversation because it seems that the only thing that our culture won't tolerate today is you claiming to be right. Indeed, at the street level, moral relativism is the greatest challenge to a Christian worldview, which claims to have knowledge of objective reality, whereas relativism says that there is no such thing as an objective reality. All forms of truth, in fact, reality itself, is merely subjective and dependent on how the individual interprets it. But when relativism is subjected to scrutiny, it self-implodes. It commits intellectual suicide. And this lecture will equip you to understand how relativists think, expose the intellectual shortcomings of relativism, and be prepared to respond and defend truth as advocates of truth and of life. And this is important because relativism is functionally the secular worldview and lens through which the pro-abortion movement sees the world. So you need to understand how they think and be prepared to respond persuasively. Hey, if you like Unaborted with Seth Gruber, go ahead, go ahead and give us a rating and review. Tell a friend to subscribe as well. It really helps us reach more people. And enjoy this guest lecture from Woodcrest Christian High School. Morning, Woodcrest Christian. How are you doing? Good, excellent. Well, hey, I did have the privilege and opportunity being here with you about uh, one year ago to discuss the case for life and how Christian young people, Christian adults, really all of us who are followers of Jesus can make a gracious, persuasive, and courageous defense of our unborn neighbors who are being aborted, dismembered, killed through legalized abortion at the tune of one million a year in America alone. But this morning we're going to talk about the case against something, the case against relativism which is the philosophical worldview that undergirds the pro-abortion movement, if that makes sense. Because relativism says that there is no such thing as objective truth. So if there's no such thing as objective truth that's true for all people at all times and in all places, then we can just invent our own truth. So her body, her choice. That's her choice to obtain an abortion because she's invented her own version of truth. She's not beholden to any objective moral law or structure that informs how all human beings should live their lives. And so to open up the conversation on this topic this morning, I want to tell you two different statements, two different claims to simplify this issue and make it a little bit more understandable and accessible to you. And I am going to assume that you're going to understand the difference between these two types of claims. So here's the first claim, okay? Vanilla ice cream is always better than chocolate ice cream. Can I get an amen? Amen. Oh, see, see, we got some shaking heads. All right. So for you chocolate loving ice cream folks or anyone else, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Now, of course, we recognize that that's a that's a subjective preference claim, right? Obviously, if we disagree on what is the best flavor of ice cream, nobody's really wrong, are they? Because that's the truth for me. And if it's your truth is that chocolate ice cream is the best ice cream, isn't it okay that we disagree? That's a subjective preference claim. Here's the second claim. It's wrong to torture toddlers for fun. And nobody in this room 
I pray, would raise their hand and say, excuse me, Seth, please don't impose your anti-toddler torturing position on me. It might be wrong for you to torture toddlers for fun, but not for me. Nobody would say that because you recognize that's a different type of claim, isn't it? I've made something called an objective claim that's true or false regardless of how anyone feels about it. Well, this is the difference between subjective and objective claims. But relativism says that nobody can be right about anything because everything is merely subjective. We invent our own vision or version of truth. So this is the case against relativism. And this is significant and important, friends, because many people today, particularly in my generation, your generation, and even our parents' generation, don't understand the difference between these two types of claims. Indeed, at the street level, this idea of relativism is actually the greatest challenge to the Christian worldview. Because Christianity claims to have knowledge about objective reality found in the person of Jesus Christ who predicted and pulled off his own resurrection. But relativism says, no, there are no objective realities. Everything is merely personally contrived and created to fit the preferences of how you want to live your life. So if relativism is true, Christianity has nothing to say to anybody. So properly defined, relativism says that what's right and wrong is up for us to decide individually or maybe larger as a society. So there is no objective standard of morality or law that informs how all human beings should live their life. You see, we create our own standards on how we want to live. So here's some examples of this. Because I'm a pro-life speaker, we'll use some examples on the abortion debate, an incredibly divisive issue, but also an issue that assumes relativism for those who identify as pro-choice. There's a popular bumper sticker that you may or may not have seen before that says, don't like abortions, don't have one. Try this. Don't like spousal abuse, don't beat your wife. Don't like, don't like child abuse, don't beat your child. But we recognize that that's a very strange statement to make, isn't it? Because isn't child abuse and spousal abuse, aren't those wrong regardless of how we feel about it? Aren't those wrong regardless of whether we like it or not? Of course. Well, similarly, abortion is wrong whether you like it or not. And when we say abortion is wrong, we're making an objective claim, not a subjective claim. But this bumper sticker says, oh no, the wrongness of abortion just hinges on whether you like it or not. So if you create your own version of truth that says abortion is not bad, then it's not bad because you invent your own truth. Here's another example. Some of you may be familiar with the pop artist Nick Cannon. Well, he wrote a song several years ago, like when I was in high school. So we're talking like, you know, a decade ago. And it was called Can I Live? And it was a song to his mom from the womb. You see, Nick Cannon was almost aborted. And his mother was on the surgical table about to pay the abortionist to kill him when she got up and left. So this song was him dealing with that knowledge and saying, Mom, can I live? And here's the line in the song that got him in trouble and got the woke scold so angry at him. He said, Mom, I hope you'll make the right decision and not go through with the knife incision. And you know what? Nobody who identified as pro-choice to relativist got mad at him for his description of abortion, that it entails an incision with surgical instruments that kill the child. Nobody got mad at his description of abortion. What did they get mad at? That he claimed to be right. Mom, I hope you make the right decision. 
meaning the wrong decision would have been to abort him. So people jumped all over Nick Cannon saying, how dare you judge people? Who are you to judge them? Don't force your personal views on others. Here's a third example. And this one was actually from this month. In March of 2020, the Social Science and Medical Journal released a study examining women's regret or no regrets over their decision to get an abortion. And this study came out of the University of California, San Francisco, one of the greatest academic enemies to unborn children. You see UCSF actually trains future abortionists on how to kill babies, and they perform grisly medical experiments on babies oftentimes born alive in order to pursue medical advancements for born people. So this study tried to say, hey, women don't regret their abortions, therefore it's not wrong. And here was the name of the study, Emotions and Decision Rightness Over Five Years Following an Abortion. Emotions and Decision Rightness, linking the rightness of your decision to your emotions, to how you feel about it. It's the ultimate relativistic study in a postmodern world. So what they're trying to communicate is that how you feel about your abortion dictates whether it was right or not. So you can invent your own version of truth to fit the decisions that you want to pursue in life. So you can't tell me that what I did was wrong because I invent my own truth. These are examples of relativism in the culture. And there are three different types of relativism, generally, in how they play out in our society and in our culture. And these actually come from a great book entitled Relativism, Feet Firmly Planted in Midair, which is a hilarious title if you understand the reality of relativism. If you don't, I'll break it down for you. But it was written by Gray Kokel and Frank Beckwith, two of the leading Christian apologists and theologians in the American church today. And the first type of relativism that they point out is entitled Society Does Relativism. Society Does Relativism. And this type of relativism says that because morality differs between societies and cultures, therefore there is no objective morality. Meaning that if you disagree on what is right and what is wrong and what is good and what is evil, then there is no truth. And there is no good or evil. Society does relativism claims that the absence of consensus means an absence of truth, meaning the inability to agree on what is right or wrong. If we disagree, well, I guess that means there's no truth and there's no good or evil. That's what society does relativism says. Yet, how does it follow that because people disagree, no one is right? For example, we used to disagree on slavery quite a bit, didn't we, in our country? Did that mean that nobody was correct? Did that mean that Martin Luther King Jr. and the other type of civil rights leaders or the abolitionists when it was actually legal, did that mean that they were wrong? That they weren't correct in trying to end racism? Because you see, half the country disagreed on whether racism or slavery was morally right. Of course not. But this is what society does relativism says. But it's also self-refuting. Self-refuting means you can't live with your own rules. An argument that is self-refuting commits intellectual suicide because it can't live by its own rules. Here's what I mean by that. If the presence of disagreement means that there are no objective truths for all of us, then the relativist's own claim that there is no objective truth is rendered false. Why? Because me as a non-relativist, I disagree with the relativist that there are no objective truths. But the relativist says that if there's disagreement, there's no objective truths. So me disagreeing with the relativist that there are no objective truths means that his claim that there are no objective truths is now false. Make sense? It's self-refuting. It can't live with its own rules. Because it says as soon as people disagree, 
then there's no truth. Well, I disagree with you, relativists, that there are no objective truths. Therefore, your position is wrong. So it's self-refuting. It can't live with its own rules. It commits intellectual suicide. This is the first type of relativism. It's called society does relativism. The second type of relativism is entitled society says relativism. So this focuses on the differences between what different societies say is right and wrong. Hence the title, Society Says Relativism. And this form of relativism in our culture says that each society determines right and wrong for itself. So if two different societies have two different views on spousal abuse or slavery, neither one is wrong. They're actually both right. It's their own version of reality that they have invented. So each society determines right and wrong for themselves. So what's wrong for one society might not be wrong for another. And the only way that this view works, right, is if you deny that there is objective truths that are true for all people. So if a majority in a society believes that a certain thing is right, it must be right. And guess what, friends? This is the exact defense that the Nazis gave at the Nuremberg trials when they were brought to justice for their crimes against humanity. You want to know how the Nazis argued that what they did was okay? Our society deemed that it was okay. German Nazi regime had determined that the Holocaust was legal and that it was right and that it was okay. And that was their defense for the crimes that they committed in the killing of six million Jews and five million other people of different ethnicities. But we reject that, don't we? We do not reject the argument that the Nazis weren't evil because German society said that their version of truth was that killing Jews was not bad. Nobody likes where this reasoning leads, but this is the consequences of relativism. For example, pro-abortion politicians in America use the same type of reasoning to argue for the morality of abortion, just like Nazis argue for the morality of the Holocaust. Here's what I mean by that. Many pro-abortion politicians will say, abortion is a constitutional right. Well, what are they arguing? They're saying that it's legal. It's been deemed constitutional. So because the American society and legal system has determined that this thing in question is right, therefore it is right. By the way, that's called circular reasoning, folks. They're not providing any reasoning as to why it's right. They're simply saying, because we've deemed that it's right, therefore abortion is right. Just like Nazis said, because the German society deemed that the Holocaust was right, therefore it was right. Politicians will also say something like, well, the majority of Americans support Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade was the legal decision that made abortion legal in 1973. So they're saying, because our laws said, nope, this thing is good, women have a right to get an abortion, therefore it is good because they've denied the reality and existence of an objective moral law that holds true for all people at all times and in all places. So if this is true, if society says relativism is true, then there can be no such thing as an immoral society. Because you can only judge a society as immoral if there's an objective standard that undergirds truth and that enables you to say, well, that is wrong, that is evil. But society says relativism says societies determine right and wrong. So if societies determine right and wrong, then no society is immoral because they're simply creating their own version of what is good and what is evil. So if a particular society, let's say, chooses to enslave women and practice racial genocide, how can we judge that? Because that's them practicing their version of truth. Don't impose your anti-genocide views on me. We as a society have determined that genocide is okay. Do you see the consequences of relativism? And if all of a society's moral and legal judgments are right and true, which is what relativism says, then how do we treat those who oppose evil regimes? If a society's version of truth is truth, 
such as American society not that long ago when slavery was legal or when racist policies against our African-American brothers and sisters were legal, then we would have to say that social reformers like Martin Luther King Jr. were immoral because society creates morality. And Martin Luther King Jr. was opposing a society that had determined that racial bigotry was okay. So now we have to label social reformers that we all celebrate, such as Martin Luther King Jr., as immoral, including men like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who tried to assassinate Adolf Hitler and save Jews. What he did was immoral, according to relativism, because the German Nazi regime had said that the Holocaust was good, legal, and right. This is the second form of relativism. Society says relativism. The third and last form of relativism, how we see it play out in the world, is entitled I say relativism. So while the other ones were focused on societies, right, either disagreeing on morality or creating their own version of morality, I say relativism says I create my own truth. Morality is up to me as an individual, and it's up to you as an individual to create out of thin air. I determine right and wrong for myself, so no one has a right to judge me. Because you can't tell me what I'm doing is wrong, because I am my own standard of truth. I create my own truth. This is what I say relativism says. So for example, you'll hear people say this all the time, right? Well, who are you to force your views on me? That's judgmental. That's intolerant because I create my own truth. The problem is, if I say relativism is true, then there can also be no such thing as an immoral individual. Just like there can be no such thing as an immoral society if society designs their own version of morality. Well, if you design your own version of morality, and one of you chooses to help the poor, and one of you chooses to kill the poor, then you two are morally equivalent. We can't judge the person who chooses to kill the poor, because that's them practicing their created version of truth. Anyone like where this reasoning leads? Of course not. So if I say relativism is true, then moral concepts such as moral accountability, evil, praise, blame, and moral improvement, justice, and fairness, all of these concepts are rendered meaningless because the only way you can make sense of those moral concepts is by an object of moral law that enables you to judge good versus evil behavior or moral improvement versus moral failures. But these types of concepts like evil, justice, praise, blame, goodness, improvement make no sense if relativism is true because it doesn't provide a moral law by which to judge those behaviors or make sense of those moral concepts. So these are the three forms that relativism takes in our society. And they're becoming increasingly popular and increasingly praised by most of American, particularly young people, who unfortunately have been indoctrinated with very bad ideas. Now, thankfully, you attend a Christian school that does a very good job equipping you to deal with these ideas out in the broader culture. And that's why it's important that we discuss them. So relativism is seriously flawed for at least four reasons. And we'll get through all four if we have time. Firstly, relativism is self-defeating, right? I've talked about this already, that relativism can't live by its own rules because it commits intellectual suicide. Now, I want to give you an example of this. It's somewhat funny. It's a short video clip by a, a man by the name of Deepak Chopra, and he is uh, the sort of new age and alternative medicine leader, and very much a relativist. And this is a short clip of Deepak Chopra at an event where a uh, person in the, at the, in the audience asks him a question and completely destroys his ability to function as a relativist. So if we have that up. Let's go ahead and play that. I want to take another question. There's a gentleman in the red shirt back there. He's had his hand up for a while. Come up to the microphone. Uh, my, my question's for, for Deepak and, and uh, the bishop. Now, you stated before that all belief is a cover-up for insecurity, right? Mm -hmm. Do you believe that? Yes. 
Thank you. I see. Yeah. As I often say, reality has an annoying tendency of reasserting itself in our lives uninvited. Because reality tends to be self-evident. Truth tends to be self-evident. And so if you didn't catch that and you weren't sure why some of your friends were laughing, here's why that was so funny. Deepak Chopra was telling the audience that all belief is a cover-up for insecurity. And so the audience member said, well, do you believe the belief that all belief is a cover-up for insecurity? And he says, yes. Well, therefore, that belief that all belief is a cover-up for insecurity is itself a cover-up for insecurity. So therefore, how can I trust you when you say that all belief is a cover-up for insecurity when you're just manifesting your own insecurities? <laughs> you see, as soon as you say these things, they cease to be true. So relativism can't live by its own rules because it commits intellectual suicide. Here are some other examples of this, by the way, that are a little bit more easier to understand. All right, The problem with each of these statements that I'm about to say is that the moment you utter them, they cease to be true because they commit intellectual suicide. For example, my brother is an only child. <laughs> or I cannot speak a word in English <laughs> or don't take anybody's advice on anything <laughs> and lastly there is no truth now wouldn't I have to have access to truth to know and find out and discover that there is no truth so if there is no truth how can I confidently make the statement that there is no truth? Because I don't have access to truth because I've just denied that there is any truth. Make sense? All of these statements cease to be true the moment they're uttered. So the first flaw of relativism is that it's self-defeating. It commits intellectual suicide. And it violates the law of non-contradiction. The law of non-contradiction says that two opposite ideas cannot both be true at the same time and in the same way. They contradict one another, like saying my brother is an only child. So this is the first flaw and consequence of relativism. The second flaw of relativism is that it can't say why anything is wrong. It can't say anything is wrong, including intolerance which is the very thing that relativists hate the most. Because what does relativism say? Don't judge me, because I create my own truth. But if I choose to be intolerant of your beliefs, then how can the relativists say that that's wrong? Because they would have to have access to objective truth in order to lay, label other things bad and evil, such as intolerance. <laughs> so relativism can't say why anything is wrong. Because if morals are relative to culture, or they're relative to you as the individual, then guess what? There is no ethical difference between Adolf Hitler and Mother Teresa. You see, they just had different preferences. They just created different versions of truth. Hitler liked, to, or Hitler liked to kill people, and Mother Teresa liked to help them. But who are we to judge? Because Hitler just invented his own version of truth, see? So we can't even label people like Hitler evil or wrong because we've denied that there is any such thing as good or evil. But we know this view to be counterintuitive, don't we? We know there's a difference between killing people and helping people, between feeding a child and starving a child. These are obviously different. 
because reality is self-evident and it does have an annoying tendency of reasserting itself in our lives and demanding attention. Greg Kokel, a Christian apologist and author, says that relativists find themselves in the unenvi unenviable position of having to admit that there is no such thing as evil, justice, fairness, and no obligation of tolerance. Because why be just and fair if there's no truth that you're beholden to obey? The third flaw of relativism is that relativists inevitably make moral judgments, meaning that even those who identify as relativists, they can't help but judge other people. But they've destroyed their intellectual ability to judge other people because they said there's nothing to judge because nothing is wrong or evil objectively. It's all subjective. And yet they can't help but judge people anyways. Why? Because reality has an annoying tendency of reasserting itself in our lives. So if the relativist thinks it's wrong to judge, which he does, then how can he say that we as pro-life individuals are mistaken in the first place? The relativist, who is oftentimes pro-choice, says that you have to respect the decisions and choice of men and women when they choose to obtain the death of their child through an abortion. We have to respect that opinion. But suddenly, he'll turn around and not respect the pro-lifers individual of saying, no, I don't respect the decision to kill your child through an abortion. You can't judge me, relativist. I, as a pro-lifer, am just practicing my version of truth. And my version of truth says it's wrong to kill babies in the womb through abortion. And also my version of truth says that it's right to judge people for making those decisions. So how can he judge me now? Because he's just said that I get to create my own version of truth. And yet he can't help but judging me anyways. So whenever a relativist says, hey, you shouldn't force your views on others, you know what the first question out of your mouth should be? Why not? Why not? Any answer the relativist gives you as to why you should not impose your views on others will be an example of him imposing his beliefs on you. Because he'll say what? It's wrong to impose your beliefs on others. You don't get to say anything's wrong, relativist. You just said that there is no such thing as right or wrong, and I get to invent my own definitions of truth and right and wrong. <laughs> and yet he will judge you anyways for saying things like, I'm against same-sex marriage, I'm against same-sex sex, I'm against sex therapy uh, conversions, I'm against abortion. He will judge you for saying those things, but he's destroyed his ability to judge those at all. The fourth flaw of relativism is that relativism is not neutral. And yet relativists pretend to be tolerant by being neutral. They claim to take the position of tolerance, which always sounds really good. Oh, you're tolerant. And they claim to be tolerant by saying, well, I'm just going to take the position of neutrality. I'm just going to be neutral on these divisive issues because I don't want to impose my beliefs on someone else. Especially when it comes to controversial issues like abortion, relativists insist that the government should not legislate on such divisive issues. So it's too divisive. People disagree. Remember, society does relativism, says that if people disagree, there is no truth. So they say the government really shouldn't be taking positions and imposing or legislating morality on controversial or divisive issues like abortion. But their call to be neutral is very ironically selective. There's only some issues that the relativist says that you should be neutral on. But if you start saying we should practice neutrality on certain issues that they have very strong opinions on, then they'll say, no, we shouldn't be neutral on that. Here's what I mean by that. You'd be hard-pressed to find a relativist who believes that the government should remain neutral on same-sex marriage, sex reassignment surgery, 
or exclusively heterosexual adoption placements, meaning that we should only adopt children into families with a married mother and a married father, a married man and a married woman. Suddenly the relativist says, oh no, the government shouldn't be neutral on that. Because if the government is neutral, it means they're not defending the perceived rights of the same sex to marry one another, of men who think they're women to get surgeries, and of same-sex married couples to adopt children. Because if the government practices neutrality, then they're not rushing to the defense of same-sex couples to adopt children or to get sex reassignment surgery. Suddenly, the relativist says, no, the government should protect the rights of same-sex couples to get married, to adopt children, and to practice sex reassignment surgery if they want. Well, if the government is protecting the rights of those individuals to do that, then they're not neutral. So the relativist is very selective in which issues he wants society to be neutral on, which should tell you that he's not consistently applying his ideology, is he? The second problem with the claim that relativism is neutral is that moral neutrality is a myth. When it comes to moral issues, there is no such thing as moral neutrality. And moral neutrality only aids and helps the perpetrators of evil. For example, on moral issues such as slavery and the Holocaust, and yes, abortion, there is is no such thing as moral neutrality. For example, they say we should be neutral on divisive issues. Well, slavery was a very divisive issue in America at one point, wasn't it? Very divisive issue for Americans. We had a lot of racists. We had a lot of plantation owners who owned African Americans and treated them like animals. So was the tolerant position for America to refuse to take a position on the sale and enslavement of African Americans, would that have been tolerant for the government to say, we're not going to take a legislative position on the purchase of human beings by racists who enslave them? Does that sound neutral? To be morally neutral on slavery would have been anything but neutral, right? And had the government refused to legislate on the question of slavery, such a position would not be neutral, but would rather directly be supporting slavery and slave owners in the slave trade by giving them free reign to operate however they wanted. That is not a neutral position. And you know who understood the myth of moral neutrality better than probably anyone else in the last hundred years? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the pastor, martyr, prophet, and spy in Germany, who I mentioned earlier, tried to arrange an assassination attempt on Adolf Hitler because he realized that if they could take that man out, they could save a lot of Jewish lives. He failed in that attempt and was assassinated himself days before the war ended for that attempt on Hitler's life. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer helped launch what was called the Confessing Church, his claim was that the rest of the German churches were not true confessing Christians. Why? Because they were taking the position of moral neutrality. They were being silent on the butchering and murder of Jews. So he said, we're the true confessing Christians, confessing the real Christ and not arbitrary obedience to the German state. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer had some very powerful words about the danger of moral neutrality. Here's what he said. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. God will not hold us guiltless. If you remain silent and morally neutral on the butchering and murder and abuse of another human being, that is not a neutral position. You are aiding the perpetrators of evil by giving them free reign to operate however they want. And yet the relativist claims to be tolerant by, by taking the position of moral neutrality. So relativism is not neutral because it says that either societies or you as individuals get to decide your own moral codes without any external or objective standards. In other words, anything goes. Do whatever the heck you want. You're not accountable to anyone. Does that sound like a neutral position? 
Of course not. So the fourth flaw of relativism is that it is not neutral. So relativism is seriously flawed and unable to make sense of the world that we live in for these four reasons. Relativism is self-defeating. It commits intellectual suicide. It can't live with its own rules. Relativism can't say why anything is wrong including intolerance, which they claim to say is wrong. Relativism can't makes moral judgments against others while claiming and denying the objective, the reality of objective morals. And lastly, relativism is not neutral because it's not neutral to do nothing in the face of evil. So I want to finish with this common sense view of truth. I know some of this might be a little bit hard to access. Some of this might be a little bit complicated or hard to follow. And that's why I'll be sticking around to do Q&A in the classrooms. But I want to finish with something that's very common sense, very easy for all of us to understand. And it's simply called the common sense view of truth. Essentially, why objective truths are common sense. And the idea that makes this common sense view of truth possible is called the correspondence theory of truth. The correspondence theory of truth says that the truth or falsity of a statement or of a claim is determined by how it relates to the world that we live in. By testing ideas and determining whether they make sense of the world that you live in. Greg Kokel, again, our, our good friend and Christian apologist, says that everyone is already deeply convinced of the truth, even when he denies it, because reality is self-evident. He says that our culture is driven by a postmodern impulse led by relativism, but deep down, each one of us is a common-sense realist. Each one of us is a common-sense realist. We understand that truth is self-evident and makes sense of the world that we live in. And I know that this is all of our view of truth. This theory that you should test your ideas with how they relate to the real world. Why do I know that this is your view of truth? Because you look both ways when you cross the street, don't you? Why? Because you want to match your beliefs with reality. You might believe that there's no car coming when you step out into the street. But are you going to close your eyes and walk out into the street and say, I believe no car is going to hit me? No, you're going to test that belief that there are no cars coming with reality. And the way you would test it is by doing this, looking both ways. This is the common sense view of truth, that we should match our beliefs with reality. So no one is a practicing or functional relativist when it comes to common sense issues like crossing the street, like torturing children, like balancing the checkbook, or like reading the directions on a medicine bottle. No one will say, I believe this medicine won't hurt me, and then chug it before reading it. We always want to match our beliefs with reality. And the scriptures acknowledge this common sense view of truth. John 2.21 says, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know the truth, and because no lie is of the truth. No lie is is of the truth. So a lie is something that doesn't correspond to reality. Truth is the opposite of a lie because it does correspond to reality. It corresponds to the way that the world really works and the world that we live in. So relativism is a lie because it does not correspond to the world that we live in. It commits suicide, it can't label anything as wrong, and it claims to be neutral while greenlighting evil because it's removed the objective standard and foundation to call something evil in the first place. Relativism is a bold-faced lie because it doesn't correspond with the common sense view of truth that says, I have these beliefs, but I want to match them with reality and see if those beliefs are true or false. 
These are the consequences of relativism. So in the meantime, friends, let's commit together to living in reality by examining our ideas on a daily basis and testing whether they accurately describe the world that we live in. And if they don't, we should abandon those ideas in the pursuit of truth, in the pursuit of an objective reality. And let's commit together to the eternal pursuit of truth, which will inevitably lead us to the source of all truth and the creator of the reality that we live in and whose laws make sense of reality, Yahweh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Pray with me, friends. Father, thank you that you are the author and perfecter of our faith, but you're also the author of life. You have created this world that we live in, and whether we acknowledge you as creator and savior or not, we as human beings cannot help but abide by the laws that you've given us because eternity is written on the heart of man. And so even our neighbors and our brothers and sisters in this world who claim to not believe in you can't help but call things evil and good because your law is written on their hearts. So give us the divine opportunities to share truth with people, to expose the evil consequences of bad ideas such as relativism, which is a direct attack on your objective story and reality that you came, that you died, that you rose again, and that you're coming back soon. Give us the courage and the grace and the compassion to engage with a confused and broken world with the truth and with the light that you give us in our hearts through your Holy Spirit so that we can shine like stars in this crooked and depraved generation. Do this in and through these students, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Unaborted with Seth Gruber for this special episode on relativism and its intellectual shortcomings. I hope this was helpful for you. Please listen to this again. Share it with a friend who tends to think that all truth is merely relative and all truth is merely subjective and we invent our own truths and and encourage them to consider these things deeply so that they can also be people who stand for truth and for life. And if you enjoy Unaborted with Seth Gruber, consider becoming a patron of the show. We really need your help to expand the impact, the protection value of the show. In fact, to continue creating weekly content for you, for people who are Christians, for people who are pro-life and who need a one-stop shop to be encouraged on how to engage the culture and defend their pro-life views. So if you want to help support the show at five, 10, $15 a month, head on over to patreon.com slash unaborted. Greg Cunningham, one of the longtime pro-life leaders, once said that there are more people working full-time to kill babies than there are working full-time to save them. That's because killing babies is very profitable while saving them is very costly. It's costly to save lives and be people on the front lines of the pro-life movement. So consider supporting the show. Head on over to patreon.com slash unaborted and become a patron of the show and help us reach more people. If you want to learn more about my ministry, head on over to sethgruber.com S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com to sign up for my newsletter, to get my training letters, to view my speaking schedule once I'm allowed to go out and speak in public again, and to learn more. So thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. This is Seth Gruber with Unaborted. Unaborted.